Welcome to the Highway Freaks. We interview musical artists, people in the news, truckers, songwriters, 80s rock bands, or anyone we meet on the road. I'm Bry Guy, your road dog host. And now, J-Man, the Snarl, Motorhead Mark, Wing It Will, Canadian Lady Trucker Janet, and the Pink Bombshell. This is the Highway Freaks, real truckers, real life. Yes, this is Bry Guy, your road dog host for Highway Freaks, real truckers, real life. Visit number 40. Tonight, we feature music from our house band, Fist, of course, as well as music from Brett Gerner, formerly of Helix and My Wicked Twin. Brett will also be doing part two of Bry Guy's eye-opener show, which is near to the end of our podcast tonight. So, uh, road crew, we're going to ask you how the week uh, went, and uh, those that want to share, you're more than welcome to. Uh, I know, Jay, you had your camping trip from hell, and uh, how's the rest of your week going there, buddy? All I got to say, the story you were about to hear is true. Even the names have been kept the same, so you know never to listen to the J-Man about going into the woods. You have heard of Murphy and his law? Well, I swear between Jeremias when I left and the Kettle Valley where I stopped, that got it. And because if anything could go wrong, it went wrong. Now, I left on Thursday, which was the 6th. Everything was good. I went shopping. I got all my food. I uh, picked up some uh, some gas for my generator. Uh, uh, odds and ends that I would need for the... Like, I was very well prepared for this trip, you would think. Now, uh, by the time I got to where I was going, which was uh, the Shushwap River running out of Maple Lake, I couldn't find a spot because it was about midnight. So I just went to got up in the morning at daylight, and there was nothing. Like, just you couldn't get close enough to the river. So I figured, you know what? I know what I'm doing. J-Man's a woodsman, doing this his whole life. Uh-huh. I head south. I jump on a Forest Service road heading towards a, a little town called Beaverdale. Some of you people will know it, some won't. And anyway, <laughs> this is where the bullshit begins. Uh, Friday morning, uh, I had just talked to Brian, and uh, I headed out, and I turned off of Highway 6 about 30 kilometers east of uh, Cherryville and headed south on the uh, Kettle Valley Forest Service Road. Beautiful, beautiful road, well-maintained. You don't need, you know, you can go on there on a, any car. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a 4 by 4 road or in a very, very well um, taken care of uh, logging road, basically. Well, I, I, I drove for about, oh, I guess, 30 miles, and I found this beautiful spot. So I turned off, and it's, it's off the beaten path a little bit for about a quarter mile. And this huge area, you know, wide open, uh, the river running right, right by you. Um, you would figure beautiful position, just I didn't catch anything. <laughs> and I set up camp. Well, thank you very much, Brian, for the idea of shorts. You dirty, rotten son of a <laughs> I wore shorts. Took my shirt off. It's hot. I mean, it's blistering hot. I'm sitting there. Uh, I'm having a couple of beers, 
you know, and, you know, the dog's running around and, and I've got my, I'm in the middle of a fire band, so I bought one of those propane uh, campfires. Those things are very cool, by the way. I got that set up, I got my campfire going, no one's around, and I'm sitting there, I'm having a couple of beers, throwing the stick for the dog, and uh, I decide it's time to go fishing. So I go fishing. <laughs> Every time, now I don't know if you know anything about fly fishing, but anyway, your, your casting is way different than sin casting. And, and anyway, uh, Zephyr, uh, the idiot dog that I own, um, would go after the fly. And she dove into the river, and, like, it's a fast-moving river. Well, she completely disappeared on me. <laughs> I thought I lost her. And then, like, about 40 feet down river, this little head pops up. And, you know, she gets out of the water, comes back, and, and she keeps doing it. Like, she's, she's just loving this, right? And it's, so I had to stop. I, I, I'm, well, I, I was going to stop fishing, but I figured, okay, well, I'll fish a little bit more. Well, she came up, and this is incident number one. She tackled me, knocked me off the rock that I was standing on, and I fell into the river. I my rock, and I broke my hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, just just a little bit on the side of your hand. Now, I, I broke this, the same bone many, many years ago in Texas. It's a little tiny chicken bone. I don't even know what it's there for. Well, anyway, I cracked it again. And it, it, my hand turned purple and all different colors. It's fine now, but it still hurts like a son of a... And then... I realized, you know, I hurt. I hurt pretty bad. Like, I hurt. So I'm looking, and I realize I'm getting red as a lobster. Thanks very much for the short idea, Brian, you son of a... Did you know you sunburned through water? I didn't know that. Thank you again, Brian, you son of a... <laughs> I am red Now, moving forward to after an uncomfortable night's sleep, we move to Sunday. Sunday morning. I've burnt everything that I've made to eat, because apparently I can't cook with a shit. My J-Man burgers were charcoal burgers, um, but that's not the best part yet. All of a sudden, I hear this screaming squeal like a jet engine, and the engine on my generator starts running in probably about 10,000 RPM, and then all of a sudden, ka-boom. The generator exploded, took the fuel tank off. It, it set off a god like a, a little a miniature nuclear explosion. Imagine a little fireball up into the air. Now I'm in the middle of a god fire ban, and I just set fire to the place. So I'm looking around. I'm trying to run around. Now, now imagine. Now imagine for a second. Now I'm wearing jeans, and my legs are burnt to a crisp, even behind the knee. I can hardly walk, and I'm trying to run with water. I look like a I look like a pregnant duck. Now I got the water. I got it put. I got it put. On. Yeah, lap it up. I, I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. I got the I got the fire put out, and I tried to you know I'm figuring to myself, well maybe I could fix this until I saw like the parts of my generator spread out all over Hilltop Acre, like they were all over. Like, I've never seen a generator explode like this. And uh, I would have take, taken pictures, but my God, phone went dead. <laughs> my first clue was, should have been, that my like, nothing's <laughs> charging through the generator. We move on. I'm still having an okay time. Like, okay, well, whatever. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll just, you know, improvise, right? Well, anyway, we're now at Monday. Zephyr.
found an overwhelming desire and love for fair shit. <laughs> yeah, she did. She she rolled in it. She covered every part of her in it. Oh my and I said, god! Okay, no, no big deal. No big deal. I'll just grab the fly a lot, fly rod, and I'll throw some line, and uh, which hurt like the son of a because my back is burnt to a crisp. So now she won't chase. It. She's just barking at them. She won't come near the water. Oh, no, I'm going to roll around. I'm going to walk around and strut my stick. and bear shit. So finally, having enough, I grabbed her. I picked her up and threw her in. <laughs> and looking down at my pants and my shirt, bear shit's green, by the way. I had it all over. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, that laugh is the same thing I, I think I heard that Murphy guy do. <laughs> I get those, I took, I took those off, I rinsed them off the best I could and put them in a garbage bag. Buy everything all the way I went. So anyway, this is Monday night, okay? The coolers are, my coolers are, are starting to get warm, so I'm chucking food, right? Like garbage in it, like getting yeah. rid of the meat and all that shit. Anything that could go bad, right? Um, cooking, I cooked up everything that I could that was still okay, because if it's cooked, you can still eat it, right? Yeah. Well, anyway. We move on Tuesday morning. I wake up in agony because Zephyr is digging her claws into my first back. And I decide to get up and I make coffee. And I'm wondering why the doors in my my minivan won't close because they're automatic. Uh-uh. I'm drinking my coffee and it, and it dawns on me. I got a dead battery. Grab my keys, trigger, nothing. Dead battery. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> we had a wave of thunderstorms. Um, not just little tiny thunderstorms. We are talking rain and lightning that Noah probably didn't have to deal with. So I couldn't go anywhere. So finally, on uh, yesterday morning at about four in the morning, first light, I started walking. And I took Zep with me. I walked about 30 miles. Thunbert the shit, curtain, begging for death, wishing that I'd brought my shotgun with me uh, and beat one. I finally get track a guy down. Uh, gives me a drive ride back, and I'm telling him all my stuff. And he's laughing his ass off. He almost drove off the road a couple of times. And uh, we finally make it back into the campsite. And guess what I see? What? Make a wild guess. The bear? No, a motorhome parked. He's setting up camp. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it took an hour. This thing was dead. We got it started. By the way, a good thing came out of this. Um, I haven't had a cigarette since uh, Saturday. So, so far, so good. I haven't been smoking. Um, the bad thing was is I finally got everything packed up. I never packed a car so fast in my life. I had that site completely cleaned, everything into the van, 20 minutes. And I was driving down that road, heading for home. So, and I start laughing about it, you know, like I'm thinking to myself, um, you know, there, there's no reason why I should be surprised at this at all, because, you know, this is my life. If it's going to happen, life is going to grab me by the short hair and shake. 
It always has. <laughs> it always will. So why why should I why should I be upset? <laughs> I will mention I will mention something about this campsite. This was really really creepy. I swear to God that that place I was at was haunted. And the reason I say this is from the day I got there, I had a weird feeling. You got that weird feeling that you're being watched or there's some there's something around. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like horrifyingly scary. It's it just just an odd. And I kept seeing shadows, not only during the day, but at night. Hmm. Now, the weird, weird, weird thing that, and this bothered me because I could I could have swore I heard a woman's voice to wake up. And it sounded, if my memory, it sounded like my mother. That was the weird part. That was just that yeah, was that's... before I ended up on my walk. Wow. So I have made an executive decision. Any of you people um, want fishing or, you know, camping advice or anything else like that, don't come to me. <laughs> somebody else's paper. Oh, thank yourself. You'll, you'll, you'll thank yourself. Well, anyway, the, 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 the one thing that did upset me was I finally got to, on my way back, um, I got cell phone range, and man, there had to be a hundred messages from my daughter, and she was freaking out because she couldn't get a her get a she couldn't hear from. And there were reports that Vernon was on fire. Okay. And of course, she's oh, I wasn't anywhere. I wasn't anywhere near Vernon. No. Um, I was. I was actually. <laughs> I was actually halfway between Kelowna and Vernon. Yeah. Um. Um, I, 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 like I, there were times that I did enjoy myself, especially with my dog. That dog is the biggest pain in the ass. I, yeah. I swear. And uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was an interesting. Uh, I finally got home last night. Um, like right now, sitting in the like I'm sitting in the seat in the van talking to you guys. I can't. Yeah. I don't know where the hell my headset is. And I've got a towel down because. I don't want to stick to the leather seat. Yeah, no, that would not be good. The whole town will hear me scream. Okay. So where uh, where are you, Bruce, tonight, uh, Birdman I, Bruce? I am, I am still in North Dakota. I'll be uh, venturing to uh, a place called Rugby, North Dakota, to uh, pick up uh, whatever load I'm picking up. I don't know what it is yet. Uh, it's always a surprise when I get there. But uh, And then I'll be heading to Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Uh, it's been a, a very interesting week, uh, although I've just been sitting here for the past two days waiting for this load to pick up. Rugby, North Dakota is considered the, uh, I believe it's the, it's known as the geographical center of North America. So uh, it's come up for debate many times, but oh. there's no doubt that uh, Rugby, North Dakota is a hub of activities and attractions, beginning with a <laughs> monument that actually proclaims Rugby the graphic center of North America. And I, Bandit and I have actually stepped foot on there. Mind you, it was cold in the winter, but uh, I do recall the, that monument. So if you go through it, you'll see it as well. It's very, very noticeable, extremely noticeable. Oh. So... Rugby yeah. is not the largest of communities, so I think, you know, if you sneeze, you might have passed through it already, but uh, okay. yep. I will be there right now. Good, good, good to hear. Okay, so, and Will, you had a quite a hectic week with uh, the medical, uh, uh, what do we call it, 
the medical intervention that you experienced. How's that sound? So uh, I know I also had the same thing. I sat in five hours in at a medical clinic in Lacombe, Alberta, Canada. I'm on my days off. Uh, expected to be coming back tomorrow, uh, heading for Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So with a little bit of luck, uh, hopefully my truck will be uh, coming out of the shop and that'll work out good as well. So uh, topics tonight are quite interesting. We've got some interesting topics. Uh, recently, I was watching some amazing videos of a truck that was featured uh, from the Transformers movie, but it's not... Uh, that's not done by Paramount or Hasbro. It actually is done by a Transformers fan that actually did a replication of the Transformers truck uh, from the third Transformers movie. Um, so that's kind of interesting. It's called Age of Extinction, by the way. Uh, and it's actually a replica taken from it. And I got a great story on that. Then we're going to do a panel on bullying because it is so common nowadays and uh, I'm sure 90% of us that are on this podcast as well as uh, you know our freaks listening they've either experienced it in their life some some form or another or as a child so I think that's a pretty good topic and we're also going to talk about some other topics tonight uh, Janet is uh, Canadian lady trucker Janet is talking about driving schools trucking into the future uh, driver trainers training schools rather um, and of course Jay will be talking about uh, his experience with bullying as a kid uh, Jay will be on uh, just very short because uh, he's still on his days off and he uh, you know wasn't expected to be on but he would like to put in his two cents as usual wing it will will give us a tribute to a well-known computer hacker that passed away recently and that will lead into a topic of social engineering so we don't want to get too technical on your butts, but that's, uh, that's some of the stuff we're going to talk about. And uh, Janet has another topic as well um, she'll be talking about. And we'll be featuring more music from Fist, uh, from some of their albums. And um, coming up, we will also mention to you that uh, we have GM Blacktop on an interview on uh, Bright Guy's Eye Opener show which uh, will be shortly featured in the next few podcasts. So there we go, guys. So uh, I think we'll start tonight with Bruce, because uh, you just wowed me about your topic, uh, which was the mystery topic. So we'll just see what's on your mind tonight, and uh, we'll let you have the stage. Well, you know, I, I happen to have been perusing some articles today, and one of them struck me really hard, and I kind of thought, here's California had a uh, a policy that they enacted where, and I'm sure most of you people uh, maybe you've heard of it, where they're mandating that um, pig farmers uh, or the pork industry are being mandated that every sow that they have has to have X amount of space, so they want to expand the amount of space. Now. Uh, truth be told, I'm all for that because I think animal cruelty is a, a sore topic. But they are mandating the rest of the country, and I'm assuming that's going to disappear with Canadian as well because the pork product is trans—you know, it's transborder, so it's going to come from the U.S. up to Canada and vice versa. And what they're saying is because. 
because of the size of California, what their policies are, are going to affect, whether it be positively or adversely, the rest of the country. Uh, and there's a lot of um, farming communities that are raising cane about it because they say what it's going to do, it's going to translate to much higher prices because now they get, you know, X number of dollars per square foot that they use. Now that's going to be increased. So it's going to hit everybody in the wallet on the dinner table. And I just thought now they brought it up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court now, the U.S. Supreme Court, that is, has sided with California saying because it's affecting all states in kind, California can mandate what they want to do and how they want to treat their farm animals. And it is going to adversely affect the rest of the country and the pricing therein. And mainly I was kind of thinking, well, as much as I want to say, yeah, let's give animals a fair shake, let's not, you know, put them into a... uh, a harsh, a harsher situation than they already are. Um, but how's that going to affect, you know, the lower income people that are they're looking for the other white meat, you know, the cheaper of the uh, the meats, and now all of a sudden the price is going to skyrocket because prices are being are hitting these producers, uh, you know, and it's affecting their bottom line, and they've got to be able to put it out there. So I was just wondering if anybody else has heard the uh, the same. Uh, topic and what anybody might think of it, because I'm assuming that pork products are shipped into Canada from U.S. producers. I'm not sure what the uh, pork production in Canada is at this point. I, I know I see a lot of it transiting the, uh, the roadways, as, as do anybody else that drives the uh, U.S. highways. Yeah, Has so, anybody heard anything about that? Go ahead. Yeah, so, sorry, sorry, Bruce. It, it, yeah, so... I I'm in Canada. However, um, in the U.S., they 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 have this thing of um, trying like I don't know if you've you've heard of the lab grown meat, but right now, like like from from my my perspective, it it literally looks like they're trying to uh, squeeze that industry uh, to a point where um, farmers are gonna have to give up their like sell their own their 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 own properties to these bigger companies, right? Um, I, I, I think that um, they are, like, I, I mean, it's probably, meat's probably never going to be phased out, but right now, like, they've always kind of had this thing with farmers, and even down here in Canada, like, I don't I don't know if, if you know anything about the Monsanto project, but there was uh, this big company, and they basically for lack of better term, forced the farmers to, to sign on contracts with them, which meant, like, um, they had to do what these big companies were telling them to do, regardless of whatever the risks were, which is when we were seeing, you know, the, the mad cow disease and all these other viruses forming. I, 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 I don't know. Um, uh, like, I, I know some of this happened down here, but I see it as like um, a way to almost, uh, um, you know, like squeeze the farmers of, of 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 the last drop, so so that they they they're they're forced to, you know, shut down because, like you bring up a good point, they're gonna have to uh, charge that to consumers, and I, I mean even though I I I am for that um, them them making the cells larger or whatever. Um, 
it's it's gonna reflect on on the customers and the, you know people uh, people like naturally we we go to cheap stuff right so I mean once food gets more expensive the cheap stuff's gonna like stay intact right and I don't know man this this yeah, doesn't look good when when there's when there's a recession that occurs and things are getting more expensive then people radiate towards the cheaper end that's no not saying it's better yeah but it is less expensive it's less harsh on the wallet uh, and i heard what you said about the uh the lab uh created meat and i did read a, a topic uh, an article about that and i agree i think we can do without uh the, the domesticated animals uh the herd animals that we're using if we can create it in a lab where it is done, and they can cater it to the amount of fat content, the amount of cholesterol. They can they can tweak it to such a level that it would inevitably be much better for you. Yeah, I, I, and that I, goes from chicken to pork to, to beef. It could all be lab created. Yeah, no, I I wasn't really going towards the the support of it, but like just just bringing up the concept of it because once once that lab grown meat like grows in popularity if, if, if it does then you, you know uh, all these farmers are going to be going broke right uh, I mean if they go broke they're going to have to recoup their losses somehow right this is true but hopefully it'll be transitional and it'll take a little bit of time for it to, uh, to manifest itself so they will have a chance to divest their, uh, their holdings and move into something else other than you know uh, livestock yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, listen, we have a problem with the number of cows in the area, in, in, in the country, in the countries, because of the methane that we create. It, it, I know I've read that it's a problem, and if we can do without that, and we can, whatever problems we have by doing it in a laboratory, well, all's the better. Well, and then we don't have to worry about having animals that are slaughtered. Uh, for the table and all the transportation and the like. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, like I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna go any further right now. But I, I feel like we, we have different views on, on, um, the methane. Like, um, I mean, it's just simple math, man. You, you, you take the amount of forestry in the world, um, by how many tons each tree, uh, can clean in the air every year. We're actually in a negative footprint. I would actually support the farmers, but I don't know. Well, I also support the farmers. I think they've got a hard life, and I don't envy them what they have to do. And I went to school at an ad tech, so I'm very well aware of what farmers have to deal with. It's, it's interesting you bring up this topic, guys, because uh, I, I was uh, looking in Skagway, Alaska the other day, and... Uh, their prices are insane, if you, if you don't know anything about it, um, just kind of somewhat related. So when you take the price of bacon, as an example, in Canada, right now we're paying about $6 for a package of bacon. That's about, sound right, Well, six to $8? Yeah, about okay. five, five ninety nine to $6.50, somewhere around there. Yeah, where it's a place like Skagway, Alaska, okay, which is way up north, they're paying $15 for that same package of bacon. So imagine what, you know, what Bruce is talking about. They're probably going to have to pay in 20, 25 bucks for that same, uh, you know, uh, package of bacon. Sure. 
Fifty yeah. dollars a package is not far far into the future, you know. No, no, no. I mean, I I mean, when I was in the grocery store the other day, I was just dumbfounded. I mean, I I do all my shopping in the states when I I haul down there, which is ninety percent of the time, and I just could not believe it. I just thought, well, when when did two liters of cream? start costing six dollars like wow you know um and uh, my wife uh, used a lot of cream in her coffee i just could not believe that so she's paying to have cream in her coffee but when i looked at some of the prices in alaska this in skagway alaska it just blew me out of the water it was unbelievable like they're paying 25 dollars for a can of coffee where we get it for like 14 15 dollars at no frills so it's it's crazy the, how people dictate prices. So I can completely see uh, the concern and how that is, of course, going to affect Canadians because uh, it's strange, but we haul pork uh, all the way from the United States all the way back to Alberta and vice versa. We send uh, our beef down all the time down to you guys, Bruce, in the States. I mean, uh, when you bite into a Harvey's hamburger, you're usually eating Alberta beef. So, uh, you know... Um, just one of the many things, but that's good. Very, very, very good insight into those things. So, uh, Jay, you got anything to add to that? Uh, I don't know. I just don't like the idea of my food made in the lab. Not when you got scumbags like Bill Gates buying up all the farmland for that purpose. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not a fan of lab-grown meat. Not at all. Well, not at all. But the problem is, is, is it, there's too much evil in this world, right? Just way too much, and they're all and all and they're all billionaires. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. So, no, I was like, stop and think about it. I mean, I mean, he's not even he can't even go to India because of what of all the people he killed there through vaccinations and everything else. I mean, just look it up. Yeah, Africa and, and stuff and like that. Public knowledge. Yeah. Uh, um. You know, he he's just a warped, twisted individual, man. And do you really want that type of person? Control with something like that? No, no, not me either. He wants, he wants, he wants to eat bugs. Yeah. First, you, you first, pal. <laughs> I'm not having a grasshopper sandwich anytime soon. No, so, no, 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 not, not my. Oh, come on, Brian. You do, you don't want a chocolate cockroach, aka Bill Gates, chocolate Bill Gates, you know? No, 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 thanks. No. I mean, I get what Bruce is saying, but, you know, you got to really, you got to look at that under a microscope. Well, especially with Monsanto's history, right? Yeah. And it's it's amazing the water that's put in the meat now. It really is. Yeah. We uh, we did a roast the other night in the Instapot, and I'm telling you, this thing was massive. I could barely fit it in the Instapot. And so I, st I stuffed it in there. It was, it, was a, it was a beautiful pork roast. I stuffed it in there, and... Not a word of a lie. 30 minutes after I put it in the Instapot, it came out. Half of that size was gone. I was shocked. I was yeah. absolutely stunned. And that's all part of being injected with water for a well, week. If, if the meat says seasoned and you don't actually see seasoning on the outside, then it's been brined. It's the, uh -oh. they, they use uh, a a saline solution, basically, and inject the meat to make it plump up, to make it heavier, to make, you know, 
I, I remember when I was in the cookware business and we used to do dinner shows and we'd always tell people how much their meat shrank and they would swear on a stack of Bibles that there's no way my meat shrinks 40%. You know what? It does. And then some. Yeah. You, you can lose half of a, of a pork roast and I'm here to attest to that because I saw that the other night with my own eyes and I was, I was shocked. I was like, I just thought, wow, here's this pork, pork roast costing $20, $30 and I just lost half of it. Just and that's cooking it very, very conservatively in an Instapot, not in an oven at a higher heat. And it came out amazing. It was tender. Oh yeah, that but, does. But you lost half your meat. Yeah. So you know. So yeah, no, that's very, very good insights and into that, Bruce. I, I, I definitely think that was uh, well said. Well, so my last point, last point is, you know, you were worried. I think uh, Ray said something about he doesn't want his. Uh, is meat grown in a lab, but look who bought out Smithfield Foods. It's a company controlled out of People's Republic of China. Oh, God. Sorry, mainland China. Oh, God. A Chinese company owns Smithfield. Oh, no now, way. They, they've made claims that, yes, sir. And they've made claims that, oh, nothing has changed. No, it did it, it, because it's Beijing that is telling them how they need to run things. That's scary. That's scary. Exactly. That's. Remind me never to get any Smithfield meat in the States now. Cause I, I, I uh, used to buy it in the Walmart grocery stores. I, will, I won't be doing that. Uh, thank you. That's that's good advice. So uh, so let's get to another topic before we get to another song uh, from Fist. Uh, let's talk about Optimus Prime. Uh, now, I would never have actually considered this topic until I saw this amazing truck on YouTube, and you can check it out. Uh, if you go onto uh, there's a Facebook site called Optimus Prime is here, you will see some amazing videos. Now, in 2016, this Western Star truck was heavily customized. Uh, it's a project led by just an ordinary dad. It took almost a year to finish, and the guy's name is Joe Fiducia, and his vision was to inspire his son that the most impossible dreams can come true with hard work and determination. Approximately 25 very talented individuals from all different walks of life were involved in replicating this truck. Now, the entire build was done using photos and videos of the screen-used Optimus Prime uh, tracks that the owner, uh, Joe Fiducia, of Monroe County, Pennsylvania, discovered on the Internet. Uh, Hasbro, at the time, and the, uh, the, the movie director uh, and producers would not give him specs on the truck. So because they weren't provided, he actually never saw the original truck in person until after his build was completed. And Joe's creation is actually a replica from the Transformers Age of Extinction. Uh, that's believed to be one of only three in existence today. The other two are the ones that are used for filming both of the movies, which are rarely seen anymore. You might see them at the, the odd auto and truck show. Despite all of this, Joe's Optimus Prime is a very high-quality, big-rate truck that is almost spot-on matched to the Optimus Prime movie trucks. It's also the only Optimus Prime truck that regularly tours North America and Canada. And these tours offer a personal touch and interactive experience for fans of all ages while raising thousands of dollars for various charities. To date, he has raised $12,000 for charities in the United States. 
also promoting promoting a main message of anti-bullying, uh, which we're going to get into a topic about that shortly. But for another reason, towards building Optimus Prime, Joe Fiducia was never a truck driver in the first place, guys. This might kind of intrigue you. He's just a regular Joe. He had a computer business on the Internet. But prior to driving him, he'd never actually set foot inside a truck in his life. So in order to be able to drive his famous truck, he had to obtain his commercial driver's license. So they had no building specs or blueprints to the original, um, and they were not allowed to obtain them, like I was saying. In addition to that, contrary to what people think, Joe does not come from a wealthy background or has a multi-million dollar income, nor does his truck ever haul anything. You'll never see a trailer behind his Optimus Prime. His uh, Prime costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. He won't go into what it costs. Uh, they lost their life savings. They obtained a second mortgage on the house, and they entered into a, a plethora of debt because of it. Even to this very day, the struggle to keep Optimus Prime on the road, attempting to restore everything they lost and finishing it. So they're, they're trying to recoup their losses by... Uh, you know, staying on track. But he does feel if his son tackles his own dreams one day using his father's inspiration, his work is done. And why did he choose the Western Star version of Optimus Prime? Well, here's the simple reason. Many replicas of the old Peterbilt and even the 1980 Cabover had already been done. No other fan in the world, based on his research into this model of truck, was done so accurately. Uh, and there's no doubt that Joe fully replicated Optimus Prime from the age of extinction. If you look at the pictures, you'll go, wow, that is, that is very accurate. Oddly enough, Joe says he gets a lot of hate mail for driving his particular version of Optimus Prime. And, Will, where do you think he gets the hate mail from? Transformers people? The Transformers fans, you got it, right? Yep, they have zero problem sharing their despicable opinion on the truck in a not-so-nice way either. Uh, but Joe doesn't let that bother him because uh, from from all of this uh, anti-bullying rhetoric, this is this is uh, really his message of, of, of the anti-bullying message that was born uh, from that. Um, he is iconic. Uh, he says that Optimus's morals, his character, his strength, resilience, everything about Optimus, what he represents is who he, Joe wants to be as a person. So it doesn't matter what the haters say about me or my truck, Joe says. He uh, has to get legal permission from the Hasbro Toy Corporation to build it, and he did. Actually, it took him over a month to get that permission, and they did allow him to build it, but they still would not give him the specs. But students rise up to bullies with Team Prime. Uh, 37,431 elementary school students have pledged to join Team Prime Against Bullying uh, due to Joe Fiducius, owner of the world's only replica of Optimus Prime. He suffered as a lifetime victim of bullying himself. You might have thought it was his kid. No, it was actually Joe. And he offers well-organized bully awareness presentations at schools. And uh, then they have, of course, he always has Optimus Prime in the backdrop. Now, this is interesting. If you look at the truck, you'll see three stacks on each side. They don't work. So the reason they don't work is because he doesn't want the kids to touch the hot stacks. And, Janet, you would know this, that when you have chrome stacks, what do they do in time? Oh, they start to get all yucky looking. 
Yep, they sure do. So he runs dry ice through his stacks when he uh, when he actually uh, wants to make the truck look like it's smoking. And uh, that's kind of interesting how that's done. Um, to to add to that, uh, he also uh, has uh, has kind of let you know a little bit of what Prime is under the hood. It weighs in at twenty two thousand pounds, Bruce. Uh, it's thirty feet long. It's just under twelve feet wide. It's got a I'm actually looking at it. It's it's just amazing, just an amazing truck. It's it's a Detroit DD15. It's standard. There's no fabrication or modifications. He actually governed it at 65 miles per hour, okay, and he lowered it two inches from the original Optimus Prime truck. The reason was for safety. Uh, the hood scoop was too high, and you actually can't see the road. So he lowered it down to see the road. The paint scheme was red and blue warrior colors with blue and red flames. There's 16 logos and solid black aluminum custom cut transformer logo designs which sit dead center in the top of the hood. Uh, he takes them to all events, including county fairs, comic cons, auto and truck shows, fundraising, local events, hospitals, elementary schools. Um, so he, he's done a lot of really good for the community and seeing these kids faces light up is is kind of like his payoff uh so i i think it's just amazing um some of the videos had my wife actually in tears especially the one where he picks up the little boy who's got leukemia from the hospital if you go through that video and you don't shed a tear you're not a human being as far as i'm concerned that's just so touching and he even lets the kid get in the truck and everything so um i think this guy's amazing i think what he does is just so cool and you know i mean how do you how do we truckers make money we haul loads so that's a long haul for that guy to uh you know get some of the losses back on his truck but you can hire optimus for birthdays if you want um you know uh he he's uh, showing up at kids birthdays parties and uh you know and uh, like i said uh fairs and whatnot so i'm sure he makes money somehow but uh i don't think he's getting rich by doing this. I think he's probably making more on the charitable end and, and probably might be getting some kickbacks that way to, to help the expenses of his truck. So what do you think of that, Bruce? Well, You're looking at it. I, I'm looking at it. Uh, you did say that's a Western Star, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. What, what uh, year? Do you know what year it was? 2016. Oh, so it's a fairly new one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a beautiful truck. It really is. So, uh, can you imagine well, driving that thing? Western Stars was fabricated for the uh, uh, the uh, logging industry, mm -hmm. and yeah. they were fabricated in Canada. So you guys don't know where that is. It's north of here. Okay. But can you <laughs> yeah. can you imagine driving that though? Like he started with no fans on his uh, his pages. He now has ninety four thousand at the at, at, and climbing. Like everybody just loves this truck, and I mean it is it is a, it's an eye looker that's for sure. So if you guys haven't checked it out, go to his Facebook page, like his page. Uh, we're hoping to get him on on a future episode of uh, Highway Freaks on the Eye Opener Show. Uh, that's my goal is to contact him to see if we can get his story. Love to get his story. So uh, as as he as, as anyone would say, like hats off to this guy because man did he build a cool truck really cool truck so what do you think about that janet that was a cool truck man <laughs> i was taking it a look is. at it while you were talking and yeah it, 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 it looks pretty awesome it does 
Well, you, like that, can you imagine driving in a parade with that thing? Oh, man, you are the hit, the hit of the parade. So we'll be back after this song from Fist. We ain't fooling.
great song from Fist. And um, let's talk about bullying. Let's get into that. Because uh, uh, God knows, everybody uh, probably on this panel has experienced this one time or another. And the stats on bullying actually are quite shocking. Um, I just want to go over a few things uh, as well uh, with the bullying. Um, the number one issue in uh, right now in middle and high schools today is cyberbullying. And 89% of Canadian schools have had one or more cyberbullying incidents every month. And if you don't know what cyberbullying is, well, you could tell everybody. What's cyberbullying? Well, um, cyberbullying is, is basically when, you know, uh, it, it could range from anything from, you know, taking pictures of somebody and, you know, altering them and posting them online to, you know, getting people to spam, uh, you know, somebody with, with comments and stuff saying, like, you're no good, you're useless and whatever, but... Cyberbullying is usually done uh, uh, anonymously uh, when they do it, so you never know who the person is. Right. And from that, what ends up happening is the people that are cyberbullied, they get uh, lower academic achievement levels, they get negative feelings about themselves, and sadly, but truly, some of them commit suicide as well um, because they're ridiculed so horribly on the internet that they can't take going back to school and there has been many incidents of suicides that have been related to cyberbullying. Uh, 71% of teachers say they usually intervene when bullying happens. Only 25% of students say that teachers intervene and over half of bullied children do not report being bullied to a teacher. A 2010 research project studying 33 Toronto junior high school students reported that 49% of them surveyed were bullied or cyberbullied. Between 4 to 12% of boys and girls in grade 6 through grade 10 report being bullied once or more. And for boys, bullying behavior peaks in grade 9 at 47%, while it peaks for girls in grade 6, 8, and 9 at 37%. In other words, guys, girls are the worst bullies. Isn't that crazy? You would have thought it was boys. It's actually girls. Um, Sorry, that that actually makes sense because because I'm I like like not trying to single anybody out or be gender specific, but girls love drama, bro. They do. Yes. It's one of the reasons I have very few female friends because I can't I can't deal with drama. Um, I I try to keep it out of my life and. Girls are vicious. They yes, are really, they are. really, really vicious. Yeah, yeah. It, it, they always say that a girl fight is way worse than a guy fight. Guy fight, couple hits to the head, you're down. Okay, girls fight. They they kick. They pull hair. I mean, they, oh, I mean, that's it, only the physical part of it. The right. mental part of it. Girls okay. are vicious, and not yeah. just like I said, not just physically, but mm -hmm. mentally, because they do end up. Uh, you know, very clicky, um, you know, and it just, it, it's never just one. It's never just one. The one that comes to my mind I do want to talk about, because everybody forgot about Rita Virk, and she was beaten and killed by a group of teenagers, uh, actually, and uh, one was only given a life sentence after being convicted of second-degree murder. The uh, other three 
uh, they were tried for the crimes, but the the woman named Kelly Eller changed her name. She's actually out now, but uh, she was bullied so bad that uh, Kelly Ellard ended up killing her in such a violent, uh, basically drowning her and uh, beating on her before she died. And uh, that was back in 2022, but that's the one that always comes to my mind. Uh, as far as my own personal experience, I can tell you that I was bullied. Uh, I know I sound, I stand 6'3 now and I'm 180 pounds, but um, back in high school, I was a pretty small guy compared to everybody else. And I don't know what it was, but uh, I can remember many incidents where I was running home from school uh, trying to not have the shit kicked out of me. And then one day, like Jake's is going to share his story with you in a minute, I just stopped. I just said, enough of this. And then I started fighting back. But uh, this is the strangest thing. It actually continued. Uh, I was working for a construction company out of Lacombe, and I had a 65-year-old man bully me uh, because we were always in camp. And it got to the point where we'd come to physical blows because he would be, you know, making just these just lewd comments over the, the kitchen table when everybody was there. About, yeah, he's wearing this pink spandex now. And, you know, it might sound funny back then, but, like, it just got to the point where it just got ridiculous. So it happens not only in high schools. It actually happens in the workplace. I don't know if you guys have any experienced that, but I can tell you I have. And um, this is why this topic hits very home to me, because I've seen it, and uh, my granddaughter experienced it recently in, in British Columbia. Uh, same situation where, you know, the kid was picking on her, she retaliated, and, and, you know, my granddaughter was the one that ended up getting in trouble. So, Jay, what's your story about bullying? Mine started at birth with my brother. We've always hated each other. He's six years older than me, so I was constant target. And... Uh, I mean, once, twice a week, I was getting, I was getting the boots laid to me. Um, you know, boys will be boys kind of thing. And then his friends would get me. And uh, then I'd get it. And then finally one day I turned into a, uh, an Irish version of Joe Pesci. And I got very, very violent. And I just started turning on him. Um, <laughs> in grade eight, um, there was this jock. I'll never forget this. His name, his name was uh, Sam Steed because he had this, uh, he's a shit Mustang anyway. And anyway, he used to just beat the living shit right out of me. And, uh, you know, big jock, played football. I'm like five foot two. So one day I went home, beat to a pulp, and uh, my grandfather looked at me and uh, he says, uh, next time, use a weapon. Stove the kid's head in. So, okay. Sure, my grandfather said I could. So I went to school the next day, walked into art class. I pulled a wool sock out of my jacket that had a bar of soap in it, and I pummeled that f***er's <laughs> face into, into, into dog food. Uh, <laughs> I got expelled, but um, I never, ever had a problem with bullying up him because now all of a sudden, holy <laughs> this kid's haywire. He's, he's <laughs> and it kind of stopped. It, it stuck with me for years. But the thing is, is and I'm, you know, even today, even today, like, I, I never even, I don't care if I, I don't care if I get my head handed to me, I won't back down. No, okay, no. Well, that's, that seems you know, to be a running yes, theme. And, and yes, I will take the beating, and I do generally take the beating, 
Um, I'm no tough guy or anything like that, but I just okay. <laughs> if we're gonna do it, just let's do it. Right, right. Yeah, you know, medical free in Canada. Great. So, okay. so is that the only time that ever happened? Did you ever have it in the workplace happen? Oh, all the time. You're always getting bullied. You're a truck driver, man. You got dispatchers like terrorizing you if you didn't do it. If you don't want, don't do a job because of whatever reason. Next thing you know is your part. Your paycheck's going to tank. Right. Uh, get pulled. Get pulled over by a cop. Right. You can't argue. You can't argue your case whatsoever. You're guilty, whether you like it or not. You're just fine. Um, I, don't know if, I don't know if you consider that bullying. I think that's more of a power. It trip. is bullying. Yeah, it's still a form of bullying. Uh, I, don't know, I, I, I would say it's more power, power, more, more power tripping to that point. So, um, how were you, man? Do you did you ever experience it? When I was in school, I was never a, a huge guy. And there were always people that wanted to test you and see what you can do. And I had quote-unquote friends that used to get me involved in fights and used to say, oh, our friend Bruce can, can beat you up. And I used to have people say, heard you can beat me up. I said, who told you this? So in, in, the, in the way of getting bullied, I guess that was it. And I used to get into fights left and right. And finally, you know, I cheated a little bit. I got a set of brass knuckles and... I had to use it only once. I hit somebody across the jaw, his jaw. It opened it up. Nobody saw the brass knuckles. I put him back in my pocket. Somebody, everybody just thought that I hit him with my knuckle, and I ripped open his jaw, and he fell down and was crying. So that ended my bullying, and that was in elementary school when I was just knee-high to a grasshopper, and Terry remembers it because he's telling you that he's telling you the truth. <laughs> right. Right. And we know Terry was was bullied as a bird as well, right? Yes, in fact, he was bullied by his his nest mates, and they said that you see he's saying it right now, uh, and he said he just cracked them immediately. So they're just a bunch of cracked eggs now, and he's the only one that survived. Right, right. So, okay, Um, let's go around to uh, Canadian Lady Trucker Janet. Do you have any experience of being bullied? Oh, I've got more experience than any lifetime should ever hold. <laughs> Anything sticks um, out in your, your memory? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I remember grade three, um, teased by a bunch of boys, and I finally had had enough. And I remember taking off after one of the guys. And when I did catch him, <clears throat> I did end up beating the living crap out of him. But, uh, yeah, and, I mean, it stopped briefly for a while. But then as you got into, you know, grades four, five, and six, then the girls started getting into it, right? So basically was ostracized that early on, you know, from from the female clicks, which I had no desire for. Um, but, yeah, and, I mean, I've been bullied in, in workplace as well. It's definitely... Not a fun experience. So can you elaborate on the workplace? I'm always curious to know how that happened or who did that. It's it's always, well, almost always uh, someone who's higher up than you. Uh, Don't want to elaborate too much because there's some other stuff going on. But, um, I mean, yeah, even even when I first started in the industry, of course, uh, got bullied, got taken advantage of, you know, um, being a female in 
male-dominated industry, and then add in flatbed to the to the mix, and yeah, I, I mean, I got a lot of it. Except as I got older, I didn't take as much as I used to. Right. right. I just I and just don't tolerate it at all anymore. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it, there's a there's a running theme with all of us. We 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 get bullied, and then we fight back, and we fight back with either with weapons or vengeance or just you know extreme yeah. rage. What about you, Will? What's your story? Oh yeah, so uh, I was popular in like elementary, but junior high, man, that hit, and I just like I was a kid who was like maybe five foot nothing about like maybe 80 to 120 pounds soaking wet and uh it just didn't like um i i you know i'm not gonna single in any race or whatever but there were these uh group of kids that that used to literally beat the shit out of me with their uh skate oh, i you know what you know what's even more embarrassing it wasn't even there it was they, they 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 used to beat the shit out of me with my own skateboard okay and um, <laughs> uh, after that day um, I, I, I literally, I don't know if you guys remember the, the uh, Sega Genesis back in the day, but after that, I bought the Sega Genesis and I started working out. Um, I'm currently five foot seven and a half. And because of that incident, um, I am now, uh, five foot seven and a half and about 175 pounds. So, um, my heaviest was about 200 um, I, I gain muscle easy, like easy. I just look at a weight and I gain it. But I, I, I ended up having to go through some self-defense classes, man, because um, it just, you, you know, it, it got too much. But you, you, you know that old uh, saying, um, it, even if you give a car, like a fast car, to, to somebody who hasn't driven at all, just because they have speed doesn't mean they know how to use it. Well, yeah, see, I, I got trained in, 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 in a lot of martial arts, but because I didn't know how to, uh, like, um, how to use it, it, it just uh, didn't really get applied until later down in life. And um, what I mean is, is, like, I used to freeze in fights, so that's why, like, I, I, I used to just freeze there and, and just, like, not know what to do, like, like I was stupid or something. But um, later down in life, man... Uh, I ended up like now I'm 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 pretty uh, fit. I actually like I I, I competed a couple years ago um, because I was so big, but then COVID hit and messed everything up. But yeah, um, it actually had a big part in my life because bullying is the sole reason why I ended up getting as big as I did uh, muscle wise, and it it just like. It, it 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 it's even harder nowadays, man. Cause now, like like you were saying, you got cyberbullying. Well, now instead of you know just being physical, um, uh, my mom was t- talking about the mental part of it, and yeah, cyberbullying ha- ha- has a pretty big mental part in it. Uh, actually, there's there's one girl that a girl's name that comes to mind. Her her name is Amanda Todd. You guys might remember her by, um, old media stories and stuff but she was cyber bullied to a point where she, where she ended up taking her own life right right that's the uh that was the piece of crap guy uh from overseas that they tried and um they found him guilty actually um because he actually had blackmailed in her into uh pornography uh pictures yeah. and and she was uh, so embarrassed and 
Yeah, this this guy was oh, he was a complete piece of shit. I do remember that very well. But I mean, the general the general theme that we're getting here is is once you get it and you've had enough of it, you fight back. And bullies don't like it when you fight back. So if any of the freaks are listening here that have kids that that this is happening to a school, and I guarantee it probably is, um, you tell your kids to fight back uh, and and you know retaliate because ninety nine percent of bullies are cowards. That's what you'll find, right? I think we can all agree to that. So um, enough said about that. Uh, after we uh, come back, uh, we'll have Janet talk about a topic. But uh, right now, I want to eat my lover alive. And this is Brad Gerner of My Wicked Twin.
interesting song. Not bad, not bad. I liked it. Um, so now we get into the driver training schools up here in Canada. Um, I guess they're they're looking at a challenging future. Not as many people, uh, students, are actually going into the driving field anymore for whatever reason. Um, they're saying that uh, the operational costs and everything is uh, getting too high and not enough students coming into the industry. Uh, this is based on uh, Ontario from this article and it says basically that um, the operations manager for one of the companies out of Mississauga uh, was saying that he charges about $7,700 for the MELT program, um, which is a mandatory entry-level training program. Uh, he says, but schools in the area are training students for about $4,000. And he says there's no real way to compete with that. Can't drop the fees to make the numbers work just because of overhead. Uh, trucks have gotten more expensive, fuel has gotten more expensive, insurance, etc. So they're pretty much down to the bare bones, most of these. Uh, I'm not quite sure how some of these companies are making it uh, at the $4,000 mark, unless it's not their full-time work that they, you know, lease their trucks out at night to do night runs or something, maybe. Um, I've, I've known a couple of schools here to do that, just to cover, set off the costs a little bit. Um, another school in the same city, so Mississauga, Toronto area, um, is echoing the same statements. Uh, he says that the biggest challenge is pricing of training program. He's barely making money as it is right now because of the cutthroat competition. Um, on the West Coast, the increasing cost of acquiring equipment is adding to the issue. Um, they're saying basically the cost of trucks and trailers has increased substantially. Uh, he also says that he gets discounts with fuel cards, etc., but it still is hard to get that bottom line so that they're actually making some money on it. Um, and basically, too, he says the cost uh, for the parts have gone up as well. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's getting harder and harder for them to, to make ends meet. Uh, even the truck schools in Manitoba are facing the same challenges, but their added challenge is uh, each trainer for the MELT program has to take a specific course in order to become an instructor. So that course uh, is running around the $2,500 mark, I believe, and it's done over the course of three months. So the company out of, out of Manitoba is saying that Basically, they can hire somebody that's interested in it, but it's going to take them three months before they'll actually be able to put that person to work. And that's, you know, there's those delays, you know. So, um, yeah, actually, it's no, it's 11 days, and it's 2950. Uh, so, yeah, it's basically raising the fees are not an option. Uh, they've got to make it affordable enough for people coming into the industry to be able to afford taking the courses, right? So, um, yeah, just all around, all the expenses have gone up, and some of these companies are definitely undercharging for 
in these type of programs? The only I'd say is the driver's training schools is like I, I remember when I got my CDL and um, I pretty much remember they didn't teach a hell of a lot, Janet. I'm sure you can agree to that. And, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is. And if there's some progress being made in that area, great. But honestly, when I was, I mean, they teach you to get your class one. That's what they teach you to do, right? They really don't teach you things about splitting gears and, you know, backing up. I mean, there, a lot of the stuff you learn on the job out in the field, and I'm sure you agree to that. So, yeah. um, Nothing, I don't care what it is, nothing can take the place of real-life experiences in the truck and field. Anybody can drive a truck forwards. Can you drive a truck backwards? Can you get yourself into a tight hole? 99% of these people I see at truck stops can't back up to save their life. Right? The first thing they do is jackknife the trailer. Right? And I've actually seen the blind leading the blind and actually back into another one while you got three people guiding them into the truck. Yeah. So, you know, I've seen it. <laughs> it's quite entertaining to watch, actually. You know, so um, I know that sounds cool and crass, but I mean, if you're going to have three people leading one another into another truck, I'm not going to get in your way. So, yeah, the blind uh, leading the blind. The blind leading the blind, exactly. So, well, um, you got an interesting topic that I'm I'm curious to know about, and um, you were quite devastated to hear a well-known computer hacker passed away. Can you uh, give us some details on that? Yeah, um, his name is Kevin Mitnick, and he is still known as formerly the world's most wanted hacker. Um, he had uh, gained his notoriety um, through hacking into telephone systems, which at the time, if you understand technology, um, phone, like dialing the phone number, like the digits on there, kind of works the same as how your pin works for your card. So it's all on a frequency, and he figured this out and was able to, you know, work his way up, and he social engineered his way up, and the social engineering, obviously, be social being, you know, um, public and engineering is just it's a different way to engineer your way up so he would find high credentials he would use the telephones to call out to people he would then claim he was he was these people with with all these with all the information he got and he would get his information just by you know say so your name was Alan Smith okay um, Kevin would take your name, say Alan Smith, and call the company and say, "Hey, I forgot my password, and I forgot all this other credentials. All, all he would need is like the birth date and whatever." And he's, especially back then, that wasn't that hard to get. Um, now it's 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 still like pretty much the same way. But it, it just goes to show um, that uh, people uh, uh, aren't as safe as, as as they thought they were. But that's how Kevin got his rise to fame. He actually ended up spending uh, time in jail. Um, he ended up, uh, he was convicted and, and sentenced in 1988, uh, 12 months in prison, for copying a company's software that he had done in 1979. So it took them a while to actually, you know, um, 
catch on to what he was doing or even catch him, man. Um, back then, the technology wasn't as advanced as it is today, and back then they literally needed, like if you've seen biographies on him, um, they li- the cops literally needed to uh, be basically outside his house and, and uh, uh, intercept the phone calls, um, for lack of a better term, using a device called a Stingray. Now, a Stingray is um, is a device used by the law enforcement agencies to um, tap in uh, people's phones. But now there's, you know, better technology out there. And um, the company that, that, that he broke into, now I, I, I can name that company now, uh, which uh, is named Pacific Bell, um, he ended up uh, into all these systems. And at the end of it, you know, um, we call, like, we have different colors for hats. I mean, I guess you can call them shades at that point, but back then there was only black and white, right? The white hat, the only difference between a white hat and a black hat is permission, basically. Um, if you have permission, you're a white hat. Um, if you don't have permission, you're a black hat. <clears throat> That's as basic as it gets. And, um, anyways, he ended up, uh, dying at the age of 59, uh, on July 16th of 2023, and uh, he is, uh, you know, if not all, part uh, motivation for the future hackers that we've seen today. You know, he, he was actually uh, my, my best friend, Hank the Hacker's uh, uh, role model, and the reason why, one of the reasons why he ended up getting into hacking. But, um... You know, social engineering uh, nowadays is like feeding you a link and it's going to like Facebook or Instagram, you typing in your password, right? It's engineering you to give you the information. Well, like like Kevin has some pretty pretty big balls back in the day because, I mean, he, he got these people's information. He pretended to be these people and then ended up in, in, in such uh, high authority that you know, it, it took forever to catch him. Um, but if you haven't seen the documentaries on him, I, 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 would, I, I highly suggest you do. They are, um, they are interesting, um, I would say. Uh, a lot of people might find it intense, but, I mean, now you got shows like Mr. Robot, right? Um, anyways, yeah, that's, uh, that's basically all I have for that. That's how we've got our tongues. Mm-hmm. So, either that or parrots. <laughs> so um, we're going to get to another song. This one is, oh, I like this song by Fist. It's called Muscle Gun. And I guarantee it's got nothing to do with weapons. Here they are.
interesting song. Um, not bad, though. Uh, so, Ontario is starting to work on Highway 11, finally. Um, they're trying to make it a uh, two-plus-one roadway. So, basically, uh, they're looking at redesigning everything and creating um, passing lanes. So, one side will have passing lane, and then it'll veer off, and the next one, you know, the oncoming will have it. So, I, I mean, they... They did that in Highway 63 going up to uh, Fort Max, so it, it might not be bad. Um, so the next step is, you know, basically just looking at it and uh, deciding which way they're going to go. Um, I guess there'll be a lot of uh, a lot of people checking out stuff on the road. So, um, yeah, I, they've already started on some of it. Um, apparently they're making great progress and they plan to build Ontario up so that they can continue making uh, communities safer, basically. Because let's face it, Highway 11 is a nightmare. Um, Two-lane road that people are always trying to pass on when they're not supposed to. And that's how a lot of those accidents happen up there. So basically, they're doing an environmental assessment. A lot of that stuff up there is muskeg. So that's a challenge that they have to uh, look at. Um, between that and the Great Canadian Shield that runs through there, they're going to have a fair bit of work to do. Um, so basically, yeah, they're looking at uh, the passing lane changing directions approximately every two to five kilometers. Uh, They've done this in other jurisdiction, jurisdictions around the world. Like I said, I mentioned Highway 63 going up to Fort Mac. They had to do something there as well. Um, and for the most part, it works. Uh, but there's still going to be people out there who just don't care, just don't want to do what they're supposed to be doing on these roads. Um, they are trying to do some twinning of the highway as well. Uh, as long as it's cost efficient. So it likely won't be in any of the areas where the lakes are right there by the highway um, or if they have muskeg further in towards Cochranehurst, um, they'll have to decide whether they're going to widen it to a four lane or just do the two, two plus one like they're talking. Um, two potential locations for the project for the two plus one is Sandam Road to Ellismere Road, uh, about 14 kilometers stretch, and Highway 64 to Jumping Caribou Lake Road. Um, while both sites will be assessed, the design and environmental assessment for Sandam Road to Ellismere Road will be prioritized. Um, two plus one project demonstrates our government's continued efforts to strengthen the transportation network and expand opportunities for economic growth. Um, that's what they're saying, basically. Uh, Vic Fideli, uh, Minister of Economic Development, Job Creation and Trade for Nipissing. Um, in addition to that, they're trying, they say they're trying to keep their promise to build Ontario uh, to make it safer. I do know, I do know that that Building that Ontario road, um, and I've been up north many, many times, and there are just 
some lanes that are just impassable. Uh, the roads are atrocious. Uh, like we're talking potholes, we're talking ruts. I mean, I feel it because I have a short waist, a short wheelbase truck, so I feel it a lot more. And quite frankly, I won't go up those roads in the winter. Uh, I was telling my mom the other day, I said, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, we're going to see each other uh, till about September, and then uh, I won't be seeing you again till May because I will not travel those roads in the winter. I yeah. I will go anywhere but northern Ontario in the winter because they get 10 feet of snow, and I'm not exaggerating when I mention 10 feet of snow. If you get I, up there, Jen. Lots of, lots of ice. Oh, it's just Lots brutal. of ice. Uh, uh, black it's, ice. No. It's, yeah. you know, with, with the humidity and the amount of moisture from the lakes and stuff, it just, it, it's, it's horrible. And then you get <clears throat> campus casing, for example. You know, that's one of the places that they used to test drive cars to make sure that they could survive the Canadian winters, right? Oh, it's, it's, so, it's one of the worst. That's why we laugh at electric trucks. Put them yeah. up in northern Ontario in the winter. Let's see how they do for a whole winter. I guarantee it ain't going to make it. Guaranteed. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would state my paycheck on that. Okay. So, um, great topic um, and definitely good uh, know-how to uh, – to, uh, Bruce, have you ever traveled up in northern Ontario, by the way? Uh, no, sir. I can't say that I have. Okay. Well – um, I would say you're missing something in the summer, but I'd say you ain't missing anything in the winter. That's all I'll say. So it is spectacular country, but the winter, oh, it rivals some of the worst places that I can think of. So, because uh, we would definitely be taking some color out of the blues.
Okay, so as usual, another riveting podcast for our highway freaks out there. Um, and uh, if you like uh, what you're hearing, uh, make sure you email us at uh, roadcrew2022 at gmail.com. Did I get that right, Will? Um, I'm going to have to correct you on here. Uh, it's theroadcrew2022 at gmail.com. You'll get it right one time, Thanks. Brian. It's okay. Okay, so coming up, we have GM Blacktop's interview. Uh, That's going to be great. He's an indie tunes recording recording artist. And we have part two of Brent Jerner's interview on the eye-opener which is be at this podcast. And uh, by the way, if you guys are liking this music that we've been playing, uh, you go to rockpapermerch.com. And um, we also have, a little bird has told me this is is becoming reality, our Highway Freaks app is coming soon. Isn't that right, Wing It Will? Yeah, It's, it's not too far around the corner now. That's even cooler. That's real cool. So, and next week, making her second debut, Ava James. Uh, Of course, uh, if you don't know Ava, she has uh, now become part of the OnlyFans group. Uh, She lost her job as a teacher, and uh, she's got about 40,000 people that uh, tune into her on a regular basis on her OnlyFans site. So we're hoping some of those people come over to our place at uh, Highway Freaks and check us out for a spell. So she will be making her debut, and Pink will be coming back. The Pink bombshell wasn't on tonight. She had a family emergency. Our thoughts go out to her, and uh, Motorhead Mark said he might make an appearance. And J-Man will be back as well on a regular basis from his days off, including... Birdman Bruce, Canadian Lady Trucker Janet, and myself, along with Wing It Will, my producer. we got to talk about pylon, pylon shout-outs. I have to give a pylon shout-out to an amazing doctor. Um, I had a, let's just say, a thing on the side of my leg. We'll leave it at that. It's called a hematoma, by the way, a medical term. And she burnt it off with liquid nitrogen. Um, and... I'm telling you, that was uh, 45 seconds of extreme pain. Other than that, uh, Dr. O was great, and I want to give her a red pylon shout-out. I want to give a uh, a red pylon shout-out to um, a girl named Shannon Davis. Uh, she came in huge for me. Like, I, when I say huge, I mean huge. I mean, she took care of a, a bill that would have been $10,000 and did it for free for me. It was uh, it was a life saving procedure too. So I, I I truly appreciate her. I'm gonna give her a shout out right now. Her name is Shannon Davis. She is um uh one of the best um endodontists that I have ever had the pleasure of meeting. Wow, you, you actually like somebody in the medical field. Oh my I, God, I, I I know right. <laughs> man, wow. I know it like bro. It, 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 she, man, she was amazing. If you ever need an endodontist, hit me up. So I'd like to thank you guys for tuning in on visit number 40. It's been a blast, and have yourself a great week. Welcome to the Eye Opener with Bry Guy, your host from the Highway Freaks podcast. And this is my stage. I ask the hard-hitting questions, highlighting rock bands from the 80s and sharing a laugh or two. 
now about celebrities or recent people in the news. Maybe even my trucker brothers and sisters with their stories or unique pets. Animal lovers, charities, or just that odd person out there making the headlines. Or even something totally off the wall. So let's set your sights now to another eye-opener guest.
got to you got to you have got if you do anything before you die, you have to watch Sons of Anarchy. Okay, great, I'll great make a note of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, did Elvis Presley's music influence you in any way, or Led Zeppelin, for that matter? Well, I mean, the whole rock and roll thing was. Everybody was influenced by everybody. The, 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 you know, the Beatles loved Elvis. Elvis loved the Beatles. Zeppelin loved all both bands. Uh, they all loved each other's music, right? Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, you could see how rock and roll back then was like Del Shannon and, and uh, you know, the Beach Boys. It was like that really plinky, plunky guitar, soft, pop. And then as the music started to change and Hendrix and, and some bands came along, I think the pop stars, like Del Shannon, they could see music was changing forever. And that Beach Boy, Beach Boy Del Shannon style music was never going to be popular again, right? Because right. society changes and the music goes with that. Like it is now, like... Guitar rock now is not popular whatsoever, but if you're a black rock band, you're at the top of the charts. Right. So, right. Right. Yeah. And, so, and, and then you liked something that nobody liked back then was Supertramp and their Crime of the Century album. And you said, this thing is going to be a hit. And your friends all kind of thought, oh, come on. What's what's that, Brent? That stuff is kind of gay, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and look what happened. Right, it became a monster, monster album. You know, school is probably one of the best songs they ever did on that album. You know, uh, so in your travels, uh, what singers did you play with? Uh, you know, on on stage that you can recall or that highlight uh, your career. And another question is, did you have any interesting stories? Because I know you had one about Tom Jones. Yeah. They're they're all into the sauce on the airplane first thing in the morning, and uh, yeah, so I ended up going to the bar at the front of the airplane, and uh, and there they were drinking. It was got to be like eight or nine o'clock in the morning, and they're drinking booze already. I I don't know how people could do that. Uh-huh. Mm, you know, uh, Ronnie James Dio, a complete gentleman, nice guy, remembering my first name. Um, we played with him in Oklahoma, and then we played with him in Toronto at the big outdoor CNE Stadium. Probably one of the right. biggest crowds I ever played to. Anyway, so we meet him in Oklahoma. Nice guy, and they, you know they always tell singers, don't drink anything cold or no cold drinks, no ice, don't drink alcohol. And, you, and Ronnie James Dio is an awesome singer, one of the best ever, in my opinion. There, I, I go, you know, we're, we're, it's before showtime, or we're done our show. I knock on the uh, dressing room door of Dio, and the security guy lets me in. I said, I just wanted to meet you and say hello. So there's Ronnie James Dio, takes a solo cup, fills it up with ice, pours a whole bunch of Jack Daniels in there, a bunch, a little bit of Coke, sucks that thing back in a couple of minutes, does the same thing again. Goes, oh, and then the guy, he's halfway through that when the guy comes in and goes, you're on. So I got kicked out because they had to go on, right? But they tell you then, and he, he sings perfect, friggin' perfect, right to the album. The same with the girls in Heart, I think it was in Cincinnati, where uh, the lead singer, Ann, 
tugboat Annie. Uh, with the guys 
on that cover that was just the guys involved with the creation of the album. And, you know, I generally ended up playing bass on probably almost all the songs. I think I hired a guy to play a couple of bass tracks for me here or there. But, you know, bass guitar is the easy version of playing guitar guitar. You know, there's right. just, there's only root notes. It's not like you're playing, uh, you know, seven chords or, or you're not playing chords on a bass. You're only playing the root notes, you know. Right. And then, of course, you know, to give your song flavor, you move away from the root notes. So you could play, the guitar players might be playing A, but you can play an F sharp and it gives it a, a nice change of feel. So you, so you so you like it you liked it because it's just giving it a different sound is is kind of what you're, you're yeah I telling. I got a bass sitting here I bought a bass because sometimes when I can't get the feel for it I put the guitar away and pick up the bass and play the song on the bass that you're only getting the root notes so and you can really shape your songwriting that way uh, and then exactly how many guitars do you own right now only about eight. But I used to have like 57 of them. They just take up way too much space, especially the cases. So, so do you use each one of those on your albums, or are they just they're collectors? Uh, I I've got four or five collectors here. That fifth 1952 Gretsch Jet, awesome beauty. 52 Gibson Les Paul Hollow with an F hole in it. Right. So a normal Les Paul is really heavy, like around eight pounds. My okay. Les Paul, that's been chambered and hollowed out with an F hole in it, is three pounds. Okay. Yeah, okay. and then, you know I've got a kind of a older Stratocaster that a guy gave me brand new in the restaurant. We stopped to eat. Somebody gave me a brand new U.S. made Fender Strat. That was a, I think it's a ninety. Or something I don't remember now. It used to be white. It's turned yellow over the years. And then of course I got my Kramer guitar from the Wild in the Streets album, the one that went through the glass sheet at the start of the video. Right. And all that right. tempered glass just ate that thing to pieces. Uh, you know, in Hollywood they use that fake glass so you don't get cut, but they can't ship fake glass from California to Toronto. So I had to use real tempered glass. So they hired these special effects artists and they use what was called a bullet head simulator and they mount these four charges, one in each corner of a four by eight sheet of tempered glass. Uh, tempered glass is the glass that breaks like your car windows do into like millions of little squares instead of long shards, right? Right. So the little the little the little squares are less likely to cause a lot of damage to a human as opposed to a big shard of glass. So then we we just had to time it. And you go, you're going to hear it a loud crack, and they use explosives, and it shoots these four sharp pins into all four corners of the glass sheet. We go to three, two, one, boom, and I would swing through that area with my guitar through the broken glass. So, you know, I got a bunch of really minor uh, little baby cuts and stuff with the glass just fell a foot or two, right? You know, the back of my neck, uh, across the front tops of my arms, and you don't brush it off. The special effects guys tell you beforehand, we will hose you down with water. Don't try and brush off the shards of glass. Don't brush it. Water it off. 
Okay. So that was a tip, special effects tip I learned from a couple of Hollywood stunt guys, I guess. Okay. And but that glass, it just literally ate the finish right off the off the guitar. And I noticed when it came down, because of a four by eight sheet, I noticed it was really heavy. And it just cut right into the finish of that guitar across the top of the neck, cut right in right to the right to the wood, through the finish, right to the wood. And and didn't you do a video where you came up from the water? Yeah, that was my idea. Um, yeah, well, what, do you want to tell me about that? Yeah, we got in a big argument with the film company that Capitol Records paid for. We were in a big rock quarry in the middle of Toronto that had been there 100 years. It's got to be 100 feet deep, too, right? A uh -huh. uh, really big place. And so our manager, it's got to be 2 a.m. It's cold. It's cold out. You can see your breath. And they've got trenches dug there so that the quarry drains water out of it, right? So... I, and Sipe, our manager, Bill Sipe, he, he's going, we don't have the magic shot. We've had all the strippers with the, we had the X-rated version with all the bare boobs. And and, and all the strippers were gone. And, and, and he said, but we still don't have the magical shot. Come up with something right now. And I said, well, we're in the middle of a rock quarry in the middle of the night. What do you come up with? And so I said, well, how, how do I climb in that puddle of water? with my guitar and I'll just wait till the water goes calm or hold my breath as long as I can. And then I'll just stand up with the guitar and they can do that in slow motion. So, you know, the film company was saying, pack it up. It's a wrap. Let's say, unplug it. Let's go home. And our manager going, Nope, we have to do this shot. Brent wants right. Big argument. So they stopped unplugging shit. We made that shot. And it's like the only thing that people ever remembered from the video. It wasn't even the it wasn't even the chicks. So it, you no, know, it's extremely effective. Um, you know, and I had this 25th anniversary black and gold Les Paul that Capitol Records bought for me, and that was like a really heavy, cumbersome collector's item. And I was not climbing in that mud pit, watery pit, with that. Okay couple of thousand dollar guitar at the time right so what is uh so they went they ran downtown and they bought me a les paul copy for 40 bucks okay and that's what i climbed into the water with but when we tried to do it the guitar didn't want to sink we had to wait for all the air to go out of it so i could get it down that was something we didn't expect to see i, I couldn't get the guitar to sink a floating guitar hmm. That is hilarious. So that's so. That, that's kind of what happened then. I think we did that two or three shots, and the guy said, yeah, we got it. We got the shot. And I got covered up and out of the cold, cold water. Oh, Jesus. And uh, we went home and got late. Yeah. <laughs> it went on, it went on MTV and, uh, you know. Uh, I yeah. think it. I, I think it was on uh, Much Music too. I'm pretty sure. Oh was. yeah, we were in heavy rotation. Uh, you know, when Capitol Records picked us up in uh, Los Angeles, like we were supposed to sign with Capitol Records in Toronto, and somehow LA got a hold of it, uh, the wind of that whole thing, and then we ended up signing a worldwide deal in in, in Los Angeles instead. And I gotta tell you, like I was at that round Capitol Records building in LA that you see on TV and everything, these famous landmarks. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I don't think there was one person in that whole building that I liked as a human being. They wow. just they all seem like a bunch of friggin' flakes to me. 
what, like you mean, like just kind of executive? They were just they were, they were just yes people. Yes. Uh, yeah. I guess that my guess would have been that half of them had never even listened to our album. They were just doing what they were told to do, right? Go prep, right? Go push the album, right? Right, right, right. Okay. So when we come when we come back, we're going to talk about Gene Simmons of Kiss and your relationship with him. Uh, this song is off the Ashtray Sonatas album as well. It's called Self-Contained.
got some good Gene Simmons stories. I want to hear it for sure. Because, uh, uh, you know, I mean, you obviously uh, got along with him, and you guys toured a lot with them, didn't you? Yeah, we did 30, 33 shows. Yeah, yeah. So do you, uh, you got any do you got any particular story that stands out? Um well I saw some stuff that people probably don't know about Kiss over there. Okay. Alright. So did you see him without their makeup? Well yeah, like the whole tour that we did there was it was the uh oh, I forget the name of the album. It was where they uh, it was probably called Unmasked or something. Kiss Unmasked okay. that album. Okay. Oh no, it was called Lick It Up the album. Okay. Lick it oh, up, lick it up. Oh, yeah, that's, oh, that's a great. Song. So anyway, that was uh, that was the first time that they'd ever taken their makeup off. So what they did, the idea that Kiss did was, this could maybe ruin the band's career. Mm-hmm. So they did a test. They did a test in Europe first because they didn't want to lose their American market in case it, it failed. Right. So and it was a great success because they're Kiss. They're freaking awesome. Awesome live if you never seen him. Paul Stanley could sing like an angel. Yeah, Paul, yeah. Paul is an amazing singer. Yeah, yeah, he can sing yeah. really high and clear. That guy. They're all strictly business, no screwing around. They don't drink. They don't do drugs. Um, I noticed in Europe that Europe and heavy metal is a kind of a a man's sport. Where you don't see a lot of women at the gigs anywhere where we were kind of feeling a little lonesome us helix guys like where's all the babes right 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 and then i noticed a couple of times where you know there were so few females at the shows that uh i caught uh gene and paul looked to me like they had a couple of high-class hookers there and the white furs and everything else looked pretty yummy to me and let me guess that's their wives right it's no no? Oh, no, okay. they were hookers. They were high-class oh. hookers. Oh, oh, so Shannon Tweed wasn't there? Well, I don't think this is, this is probably before Shannon, I would guess. Oh, okay. I got this is back when the Dead Sea was still sick, brother. Yeah, so so what what are, what are what's the song about? Uh, call, uh, and it's called The White Parts of the Tan Bread. Well, there was this time on the road that this guy came up to me for a joke and said, Hey, what's the best part of a tan? I go, I don't know. He goes, the white parts. That's where that song title came from. Oh. I took it right out of a joke and twisted it around and made it a song title. And, you know, it, it was hugely popular in New Zealand. Uh, I, I was on the New Zealand radio station there a month or two back. Uh, we got picked because they don't just put anybody on there. If they don't like your music, you don't get on there. And... But he said, oh, by the way, uh, while you're ta- while we're talking here live at the radio station, we have 5.7 million listeners right now listening to this interview. And I said, well, I'll probably end up talking to more people today than Joe Biden d- did. Right. <laughs> well, that's, that's not hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, at least people were listening to what I had to say anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, like Joe stuff- Biden, I can't tell what the guy's even saying anymore. No, we won't talk about show boredom. So the sum of two people on the album uh, that you did sounds a lot of bit. In fact, it sounds a bit like grunge. Did you try to do that, or did you just mistakenly did that just happen? I'll tell you. With the, as far as the lyrics go, 
I took the sum of two people and I went and wrote down every mathematical equation or word or phrase or anything I could find to do with math because it's the sum. So I tried to take a love song and put every friggin' last thing you could think of to do with math and twist it into love and math. You know, I like the uh, video. The video was great. I thought it was kind of catchy the way you did it. Uh, subtraction uh, and division isn't one of the better things I do, but yeah. but in my uh, shit, I don't have it in front of me. Uh, but uh, shit, I don't remember anything. I know, I know this one you don't want to talk about, but I still like it, so I'm gonna, I'm still gonna, uh, you know, put it to you. Dancing Frogs. I thought it was a humorous video. Um, what the hell was your inspiration for creating that? I was just trying to be flippant, I suppose. I just wanted, I wanted to write a non-metal song, you know, and something that wasn't ripped your face off. It was a it was a breath of fresh air to escape the Capitol Records uh, marketing machine songwriting yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they're, they're marketing hair metal bands, and I'm finally free of Capitol Records, and I just had to write something else to get away from cookie cutter songwriting. And it, and it still to this day is on YouTube. And see what I what I kind of compare it to. Oddly enough, just the gigolo, David Lee Roth. Yeah, and my buddy, uh, my buddy who drives a Zamboni was singing that for me. Believe it or not, yeah. it's, the guy it's, it's almost like comparison to that. Only it's a, it's a love suck sick frog that uh, is got the hots for the other frog, from what yeah. I've seen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, see, I I know my game too. <laughs> I wanted it to be that 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 flat picking kind of feel kind of thing, right? Yeah, I know it's it's catchy. Uh, I I thought it was really good. I thought it was really good. You have a great story about uh, when you were on tour about this guy that was drunk and he came up and he asked you for a request on a song. Oh yeah, jeez. You have to share that. He never forgot that. So we had to, like I said, we'd have to play a Saturday afternoon matinee in these clubs, right? Not only did you play six nights that week, but you had to play in the afternoon on Saturday. So this guy, because we, you know, Saturday night's coming up, we already sang five nights in a row. So now you got tired voices, but we got to play the biggest night of the week, Saturday night. So. We tried to avoid singing as much as we could Saturday afternoon. So we'd invite people to beg them to come up to sing anything and we'll play and you sing, right? And so the guy says, and we'll take requests, and the guy says, well, can you play uh, Slow Motion Walter? Hmm. And Paul and I look at him and go, Slow Motion Walter? What's that? He goes, you know, Slow Motion Walter, that fire engine guy. And we just we had to look away, Paul and I. We, we couldn't believe it. This is what the guy thought the lyrics actually were. Instead of smoke on the water, it was slow motion, Walter. That fire <laughs> engine fire guy. guy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul and I had to go leave the, leave the club and go to our room and laugh at the hallway where the guy couldn't see us laughing at him, eh? Yeah. yeah. So oh, we, that, was, that was a joke. Uh, it ended up being...
being a joke that is with us to this day, like 30, 35 years later, we're still telling the, the same joke from the same guy. Can you play slow motion, Walter? Uh, you've met quite an eclectic a bunch of people on your travels. I mean, you had this guy that was completely tattooed. you got a great story about that one, too. And I don't know Snake Man that, that much, but... Uh, Right, right. Snake's got like 90-something percent of his body tattooed all over his face everywhere. And I guess he, he kind of became famous because I think he lived in London, Ontario, and the security wouldn't let him into the mall. Well, and that's like saying you're black. And that, and that was from the one video that he was actually in. Yeah, we put him in uh, Running Wild in the 21st Century, the Helix video. Yeah, that oh. video. Love that song. That song just kicks ass. Yeah, it does. That, it, 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 yeah, it's it's kind of like Motley Crue's uh, one song, you know, where, where you you got the guitars going and and you got the sound of the bike, uh, you know, um, Wild Side. Take a walk on the wild side, right? Same thing, like that. And I love the video. The video still stands up to this day. It, yeah, it's great so video. Good. It is. It's really good. So. Getting into some other things, um, you said Amy Lee of Evanescence. You say she's got an amazing voice. And uh, have you ever met her? One and number two, would you ever want to collaborate with her on on something? With Absolutely, I would. I'm collaborating with different people now. I actually am collaborating with a girl named uh, Michelle Ryder in uh, in Halifax right now on some songs. Oh, oh cool. Because like, like uh, I'm not wet. just writing a, a Wicked Twin album, uh, album six coming up. Okay. Uh, I'm also have, uh, I'm writing and trying to finish up my pop album too, and uh -huh. I want that pop album to be sung by a young, handsome. I'm looking for a young, handsome, experienced singer, like 20 years old or younger, who knows how to sing, knows his timing, and I need this guy to sing my whole album. Uh, my pop album, and I'll just split the royalties with him 50%, 50-50, and that's what he gets out of it, right? However it goes. Right. So right. I've got, I think I eight songs for the pop album written there now, and then there's other songs that, like, because I just want to be creative. So I write, I got a little recorder, handheld thing right here beside me, and I keep here loaded with batteries and, a, and an SD card. And then I get an idea, I sing it, I don't care what the idea is, if it sounds like the Carpenters or Elvis Presley or, you know, it doesn't matter who, I just, I just record and, and get, keep ideas recorded, even though they might not fit what I'm trying to do, right? So right. the songs, and I, so I've got these folders, probably there's got to be a hundred at least, of stuff that's just sitting for there that are, I think, good starting ideas. And so I just, some of them I'm not going to use, or, and Michelle Ryder, a good uh, singer, uh, I just sent her a couple of my ideas just the other day, and, and uh, you know, I, I don't really want to write slow songs, because they make me so sad. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> So that's why there's no slow songs on really any uh, Wicked Twin records except this newest one. Uh, uh, I put uh, my first slow song, There's No Good in Goodbye, which I thought was another good song title. That's that's that is a great that is a, that's a great 
title. I like that. Uh, so uh, that was my first slow song, but I don't want to put a bunch of slow songs on my album, really. Yeah. So I sent those songs to, to Michelle right. and to a couple other yeah. artists to try to co-write. And then, you know, sometimes I've, I've sent my songs to, uh, uh, like, I won't say who, but you send these songs out and say, well, you play the solo on this for me. And they go, yeah, sure, I'll do that for you. So they rip off and try and play as many friggin' notes as they can possibly fit in there into this chunk of music, and it doesn't fit at all. It's got, you know, there's no breathing room, there's no space, it's not written to the song, you should, you know, they just, I don't know what they're trying to do, but you, you just don't play as many notes as you can, just just because you can. You, you write your solos to fit the song. So anyway, because of all the songwriting I'm doing, I don't actually sit here and play my guitar, I actually almost never play my guitar. Because the ideas come out of my head, I sing them onto my little recorder. Then I learn on the guitar what I sang, uh, and I use my guitar just as a like a hammer and a nail just to get stuff written. And that's it. And then I'll hire guitar players to come in and and play solos for me and stuff, uh, because I I got better things to do than try to be a great guitar player. I'd rather be a great songwriter than a great guitar player. And isn't that how, that's interesting how that transition has changed, because obviously when, uh, way back when, it was probably the other way around. And, you know, with maturity comes, you know, different uh, priorities. And, and obviously that's what your priority is now, to be to be a better songwriter than a better yes. guitar player. Because, you I mean, you mastered that, right? I mean, well, yeah. Uh, and, yes. and, and, I, you know, I never learned the theory, and I, I told this, uh, this uh, the one guy I work with. He's a uh, he's got all the grades. Uh, Top notch pianist, and I work with him. And he's done all the proper schooling and everything. And I said I said to Peter Peacock, I told him, uh, you know, I started because I don't know any music theory. That I I said you know I started watching this music theory stuff on on YouTube and how to do this and all of this. He said, you know what? you need that like another hole in the head. He said, you're doing better than most people that know theory. So uh, I can't tell you the names of the chords. A lot of the, most of the chords, I think there's over a hundred. I can only tell you the names of a few. So, uh, but you know, when we were with Capitol Records, it was the same thing. Like Capitol Records said, you know, the Beatles didn't know how to read and actually score music. You know what I mean? Not write, not write the music, but score it. So they couldn't read it or score it. And he said, you know, Capitol Records had the Beatles, they had the Rolling Stones, they had everybody. They had David Bowie, right? Uh-huh. So they, they told us the same thing. None of these guys know how to read or write music. None of them are schooled. Well, that that was that's just not like today's musical artists. I mean, a lot of them are, are more educated than, than yeah, like, a, a lot of the 70s and 80s guys, but the, the 70s and 80s guys had, well, they had rhythm, they had soul, they, they knew how to sing. Um, if they just, they had that, uh, that it factor. Yeah, and there's the opposite end of the spectrum, too, where, you know, Steely Dan, one of my favorite bands, that's all schooling. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or Boston, or Boston. Yeah. Like, poor I mean, guy. That's 
singer guy. Too bad he killed himself. Or the lead singer of Boston? Yeah, he killed himself. I did not know that. Yeah, he got caught doing something weird. Mm-hmm. And uh, he killed himself. Wow, and he had a heck of a voice. He sure did. Absolutely. I watched him play live on YouTube there just last week, and he was hitting all those friggin' notes live. I couldn't believe it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so getting to the Ashtray Sonata's album, we would obviously be absent-minded if we didn't tell our freaks a little bit about that, because we are playing some of that music. That's a good uh, song, uh, album title, eh? The Ashtray Sonata's? I was going to, that's my next question for you. Look at that. We're out of time for part two of the eye-opener. We are going to catch the last part of the Brent Turner interview on the eye-opener uh, on the next podcast. So stay tuned.